Hey everyone, Matt Barker here, wishing you a very warm welcome to our Senior Roundtable, where Erin Madonna, Laurie Bull, and I chat about round tables. Just kidding. In our virtual roundtable, we talk about the topics our Special Education Network and Inclusion Association are interested in. Welcome back, everyone. Erin Madonna here. Today's topic is all about mathematics and how we can make maths accessible to all learners. I'm overjoyed to introduce our phenomenal special guest, Kati Romero. Kati is an early childhood, elementary, and middle school mathematics curriculum, instruction, and assessment leader. She is passionate about learning and teaching mathematics through the lens of inquiry, modeling, reasoning, and communicating. Kati is currently a sixth grade teacher at the International School Bangkok. Prior to ISB, she spent five years as the early childhood and elementary school mathematics instructional coach at Shanghai American School, where she worked in partnership with teachers to facilitate the development, implementation, and transformation of the math curriculum. Hello, Kati. It is so nice to have you with us today. Hi, Erin. Hi, Laurie. So excited to be here tonight. This is really, really exciting. I can't wait to talk about math with you guys. Ah, same for us. Let's also take a moment to welcome back Lori Bowles, Senya's Executive Director and Advocate Extraordinaire. Hey, everybody. Great to have you, <laughs> Kati. <laughs> Thanks. I would also like to send a warm hello out to our roundtable partner in fun, Matt Barker, who is unable to join us today. He and his yoga ball will be greatly missed. <laughs> okay. So true. Right? <laughs> All right, so let's get into it. Um, today, we're discussing a topic that for a lot of my life has induced significant anxiety. Um, and if I'm being completely honest, still does quite frequently. <laughs> I'm talking about mathematics. So why am I excited for this episode? You might be wondering. I'm looking forward to this conversation because we're going to dive deep into the practices that we can all embrace that make maths accessible for every student even the students like me who struggle significantly with the basics. Me too. This episode, oh, you too, Lori. <laughs> We're in it together. Kati, no, you're no. going to help us out today. <laughs> Here we go. This episode is for every adult who teaches foundational mathematics. We hope you enjoy it. Ha, all right, you ready to dig in? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So when we're thinking about the absolute foundational mathematical concepts that students must get in those elementary years or in the foundational years, what are we talking about? Um, and maybe if we can kind of break down into developmental bands, so sort of that like K to two band, three to five, um, what do our kids need to walk away with? And jump in whenever you want, Kati. <laughs> I think I start off with like number sense, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I know you want to talk about uh, specific, um, you know, mathematical concepts. And we can talk about that like from K to two, right? Basic math, facts, adding and subtracting, et cetera, et cetera. Um, grades three and up, that's when they need to be fluent in multiplication facts, um, grade five, grade Grade five is division, grade six is fractions. But guys, the, the, the reality of this is that the most essential element for students to not be nervous about math is to have number sense, to be able to have opportunities, multiple opportunities in their classroom throughout their life to explore numbers and use numbers flexibly, you know? 
Um, it's funny when you were saying you were nervous because every time I, I, I go in a taxi or I meet someone new and they ask me, oh, what do you do? And I say, I'm a math teacher. Everyone says, oh, I'm terrible at math. Oh, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm terrible at math. You yeah. know, like very rare that somebody is excited to talk about math. And why is that? Yeah. You know, yeah. So, so I would say that the most essential elements today in a mathematics program would be number sense. What that eventually leads to fluency of adding, subtracting, and multiplying. If we allow students to really make sense of what numbers are and, you know, decompose them, break them, put them apart, put them together, then eventually they will be more fluent. But you guys yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. And actually, Conti, I had it was um, I had a college course when I was going through. I had sort of barely passed math my entire life. Um, and I got to a college course and my professor, it was sort of when this idea of, you know, new math, and I don't know how you feel about that term, but was coming out. And and I learned a, and I and it was revolutionary for me in terms of the way that I approach math because I learned place value. Like I had learned place value, but I had learned it as like names of positions of numerals right but I actually learned that concept of decomposing numbers and that like now when I walk into a store and I want to you know figure out how much money I need I break it into ones and tens and hundreds right like so I think you absolutely hit the hit the nail right on the head um, yeah, as a struggling mass yeah round up numbers you know to yeah. know more than what you're gonna spend like eventually everybody has a calculator in their hand today right everybody has the phone and Siri. You don't need to get a piece of paper and pencil and do a multiplication of three digits by three digits, right? But you right. need to more or less know what numbers mean. The other area that I would say, guys, before num um, uh, uh, besides number sense is problem solving, right? Like what, yeah. what is math for? Okay, so students are learning to the basics of multiplication and making groups. Well, let's give them a problem that makes sense, a problem that they care about, something yeah. that will help them use that math that they just learned, right? Yeah. So number sense, problem solving, modeling, right? Modeling is the third essential element when students are able to visualize that math, right? Um, and like you said, Erin, like breaking yeah. down the numbers and visually showing on the notebook, on the whiteboard, on the iPad, what does that mean? Like 36 plus 12, the 30 and six and 10 and two, it makes sense when you see it. So that yeah. modeling part is the third one. And the last one, in my opinion, will be communicating and reasoning, which we know from all of the research from Joe Bowler that, that she has done, when students can talk about it, and you guys are the experts in this area, when, can, when they can talk about it, when they can explain, that's when it makes sense. That's when they own that learning. Yeah, when they can explain their thinking. And I think like jumping back to a few points ago, that authentic context, I think when you had mentioned that in our preparation for this in your in your notes, um, for me, that also was a moment of like, yes, like that's when it makes sense for me. If I'm thinking about like fractional thinking and I'm cutting a ribbon into fractional parts, I can picture that. I have a context for that. So I'm able to dig into it versus, you know, it's an abstract concept that I, I can't anchor in my own experience. Yeah, and you know, my good friend and, and colleague, well, Steve Lingwin, he told me a few years ago, 
how do you get students to care about math? Well, mm. give them a problem they care about. You give them yeah. a problem they can relate to, something that they care about, they're excited about, you know, even if it's Fortnite, even though we don't like the killing, et cetera. But if they can relate to it and they can draw it, they can talk about it, they will, they will be excited to solve it. Yeah. I was, it reminds me of a, a girl I had, um, I worked with, with um, pretty significant autism and she was very interested in her Bratz dolls. And so she, <laughs> we would, we were doing division. So we would have parties um, for her Bratz dolls. And that's how we learned division is yeah. I'd be like, oh my gosh, you've got this party you have to have. And all these girls have to have the same amount of cookies. What do we do? And <laughs> so it was a lot of fun to teach someone when they're really interested in it because before she could care less, right? Yes, exactly. Like those problems. So, you know, Johnny has 3,412 apples and it's going <laughs> to take um, 27 bags. Like who has that many apples and why would you put 27 in a bag? You know, oh, you yeah. make lots of tens or, or 50 or a hundred, but that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, absolutely. All right. Or so if all time I'm... favorite, sorry, the trip, the bus good. leaves the good. station from London. Oh gosh, and... elapsed time. Don't even, <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm starting to sweat. Please don't. <laughs> And that is why we struggle with mathematics. Yeah, yeah. And I was just okay. going to go back and say real quick that it's that number sense piece that I'm, it's, it's finally hitting me now. I didn't have that number sense piece back when I was a child because, well, I'm probably a lot older than you two, but we weren't, we didn't learn that. We just <laughs> learned algorithms yeah. of how to solve problems, but there was no reasoning behind it. Right. Well, and not we, really even understanding we Go were for not allowed, right? We were not allowed. We were not allowed to break numbers. Like no, we yeah. just had to solve it in a certain way, follow, following a procedure. We were not allowed to say, uh, well, I saw it in a different way. What, what are you talking about? Right? Yeah. So we didn't really explore. Our teachers probably didn't know either. That was a big part too, I think, as a student and for when we see students struggle with math, one of the things that I think really kind of hits at home, if they're not getting that piece is like the error analysis bit, like I struggled forever to be able to tell, did I make a mistake? Where did I make that mistake? Because I didn't have enough of an understanding of what the numbers, the numerals stood for, right? Or what was even going on in that algorithm um, yes, and, and yes, stuff. That that is, yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. Students in like grade five or grade six, uh, you know, when you give them a problem long time ago, I'm, I'm as old as you, Lori. So many, <laughs> many years ago, unfortunately, I taught the way I learned, right? I didn't know about this understanding of mathematics. So I would give them a, a word problem. They were called at that time word problem. And the kids will be guessing do I add? Do I subtract? Mm. Do I multiply? Mm. Just finding finding clue, clues yeah. on the word. If it says all together, I must add. But absolutely zero making sense of what is the problem telling you? What do you know? What do you need to do? 
Yeah, that's, that was another, that see, look, you're bringing out all the things that sort of helped me click together math little bit by little bit was, um, was learning about how, like the different types of problems that you might see and not from keywords, but from like, what is the actual action taking place in the problem? Like, are we comparing two quantities or are we, you know, like, how do I actually get in and dissect a word problem? Yeah. Um, okay. So let's dig on in for just a quick second. I think we've already sort of talked around this, but where are sort of our, our trigger points? If a child is going to be struggling in math, where are those points where that struggle typically will arise um, in the classroom? So what do we see students typically struggling with in maths? Kind of a loaded question. <laughs> um, uh, well, I mean, I think in general, it, it depends on the grade level, right? Like uh, there's a lot of kids that do not know how to use a tool or a strategy that helps them, right? So if they don't know how to, for example, subtraction with regrouping is a big one. And uh, you know, if they haven't really been exposed to a concrete manipulative that helps them see why you have to break a number, why? Why if you have 23, why do you have to break one of the tens from the 20, right? It's, it's a very hard concept to grasp. The same thing with multiplication, you know, some students, unfortunately, they just know that for the second number they multiply, they have to put it on the second place. Well, why, what does that mean, right? So um, I think it's finding those patterns. I, I think kids mm. struggle, Erin, when they cannot find patterns, when they cannot yeah. make sense of it. Uh, there's a girl that I, I really, I, I follow her on Twitter. Her name is Sarah Vanderwerf. I love her. Uh, yeah. She just wrote um, very recently something that said that math is about finding a pattern and then being able to describe it. Hmm. You know, so um, I don't know. I, I think that a lot of the kids that struggle is because they don't see that pattern. They don't understand why that's happening or why that work. So instead of teaching them strategies, I think we can just ask them, well, what do you think? How do you see it? What are you doing? And then little by little, we can see what's happening in there. And that's backing up that concrete level that you were talking about. Maybe this is a great time to kind of introduce the CRA approach and talk a little bit maybe about what that is and how we use that to support students who do hit those struggles where they can't see those patterns. Um, so, so CRA, right, is the concrete representational abstract approach. Um, so that's that concept. And, and Kati, I want you to correct me if I'm wrong. It's the concept where we take, we take uh, the learning that we're doing and we first step all the way back to the very concrete level. So we pull out manipulatives. We pull out, you know, things we can actually like get our hands on and concretely kind of model our thinking with. And then once we've sort of been able to talk through and show our thinking in that way, we might move to the representational. So that's where you see, like, I'm thinking from my early elementary context, drawing, you know, apples for in, in one of those problems, drawing those apples, right? It's creating a picture or a pictorial representation of the math that's occurring within my head. And then we move to the abstract. So then that's where we get the numeral representation. And we, you might see those algorithms pop up, right? Or... So how, how did I do in summing, <laughs> summing that up? And what would you add? <laughs> oh, no, that you're absolutely right. I think that uh, using this approach to teaching and learning math, it's very, very efficient. Uh, and it's for students that struggle, 
for students that like math and for students that are perhaps ahead in math, like having the opportunity to see how the math works. You know, we know that students learn best when they can visualize, when they can make a connection, when they can make sense of it, right? So if they can use a concrete um, tool, right, to see what that means, those base 10 blocks, the number lines, you know, in the lower grades, then moving into a pictorial approach, a pictorial strategy would be fantastic to solidify that understanding. Then some people think that once you go concrete, then pictorial, then you're ready for abstract. But actually, some students might jump back to concrete, right? Some students might already be using an, a more abstract algorithm like you just mentioned. And then, hey, this is not working or I made a mistake, something is not working. Let me go back and make sure that I get this, right? Mm, right now, yeah. for example, in grade six and teaching, you know, pre-algebra, X's and X squares, kids look at me and, and on Zoom, because we're virtual right now, it <laughs> yeah. looks like, what are you talking about, woman? Right? <laughs> I brought my camera and I brought my little algebra tiles and I show them this is the X, this is the X squared. And look at these, the side of these, you know, so using them. And I could see the yeah. kids. Oh, it was fascinating. I could see the kids. They're all muted, but I could see them throwing their heads back. Oh. Like yeah. I could hear them. Oh, that's why the X squared is X times X. Like, you know, it's so like, funny what? you mentioned that because um, when I was at ISB, the eighth grade uh, math teacher was sharing about volume. And yeah. she mm. fi literally filled up a three-dimensional pyramid or something with, with water. Yeah. And suddenly it all made sense to me. I struggled with geometry my entire life. I did not uh. understand why it was taught. I didn't get it. My, my daughter struggled. And, and you know, I, the whole time I was like, had we just used... <laughs> concrete objects in yeah. grade eight or grade nine or yeah. whenever they learn it it would have made so much more sense but we go right. away from that in those levels right well especially because if we're looking at a learning disability something like dyscalculia right we're not looking at someone who doesn't have logical reasoning skills no. right that logic is there it's the it's like the the perception of the quantity or the manipulation of the quantities and that you know it's all of that kind of processing that occurs within the brain so that concrete level really kind of fills in that gap that then allows the logical reasoning to kind of take over right and it allows you to engage in that way oh and yes. then fractions, <laughs> fractions are, are, are and a beautiful, incredible thing to really explore. And yes. there are people that miss that. There are people that only learn, you multiply the numerator by the numerator, and then you multiply the denominators. What does that mean? We don't know, but you get the right yes. answer. <laughs> you know, when today, when, whenever I've held... Um, parent um, coffee talks and they come, they wanna know, they wanna learn about mm -hmm. math. They wanna be able to help their kids. And then when I show them a pictorial representation of what is half of a half. So think about it. You have a half a cup of sugar and you want half of that. And they're like, wow. <laughs> yeah. They did not know. They only did one times one and two times two, four. Mm -hmm. But what yeah. is 
that, you know? Yeah. Like it, it's beautiful. Fractions are beautiful to use those abstract manipulatives, concrete to really, before you flip the fraction, like you don't need to flip the fraction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that you just led us into our next question, Kati, because I think one of the, our next question is all around, like, what are our favorite visual structures and solution strategies to teach? Like what really is accessible and practical and helpful for kiddos? And I think I, the connection in my mind is that like, when I learned about using number lines for fractional modeling, my mind was literally blown. Like that is, that's phenomenal, right? So, so what are our favorite strategies and tools to really get kids comfortable with? What do you like, Lori? Which ones do you oh, like? Oh, well, when I, I'm always going at it from the lens of teaching my students with more intensive learning needs. Uh, <laughs> I found that one to a hundred charts, I could use them for so many ways, of course. Mm -hmm. um, for everything. Uh, but I think what I always go back to is those 10 frames, um, mm -hmm. yeah. because yeah. you can use them in so many ways with, uh, with manipulatives or with writing numbers within them. Um, just being able to see using different colored dots mm -hmm. or cubes to go in to see how the number 10 is made up or how mm -hmm. the number five is made up within. Uh, I just, have always loved the that it's just such a powerful tool um, yeah. Yeah. and resource. And the, I think the brilliance of it, Lori, right, for, for students who struggle with that, that visual perception stuff is that it literally is a visual structure, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can see each, each quantity separated by space, right? And there are firm yeah. dark lines in between. Like visually, it's a brilliant tool. And for yeah. online, I know um, I used to use toy theater um, mm -hmm. They had a, a, a great 10 frame uh, mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. the kids could physically move the, the manipulatives, even though it was on Zoom. So that was, it was a great use of yeah. during the virtual time. Yes. Yeah. And then again, all of those things you guys mentioned is finding that pattern, right? If you think yeah. about it with, with a 10 frame, with a number line in those lower grades, when we are trying for students to make a connection between adding, for example, five plus five or five plus six. Some students, unfortunately, you ask them five plus five, they say 10. And then you ask them five plus six and they start over, right? Six, yeah. And so the teacher says, let me teach you the strategy of doubles plus one. Well, you know, instead of teaching a strategy, how about we ask them, right? Look at what you did here with the 10 frame when you had five plus five. You know, what are you gonna do if you're gonna do five plus six or in the number line, you already jumped five and you already jumped five. What if you have to jump six? And then asking the right questions for students to be able to see that pattern and say, oh, I guess it's only one more. But when it comes yeah. from them, it makes so much more sense than when the teacher introduces them. In the older grades, you know, I already mentioned the tape diagrams, the bar models. Um, the, you know, area model for multiplication, those are strategies that are used for many, many years. It's not just yeah. for multiplying or dividing. You can use them for many other mathematical concepts. So as long as the students can see a pattern and make sense of it, you know, it's a strategy that's always going to be a good resource for them. 
Yeah. Now, Kati, in our in our prep, you had mentioned fake modeling. Can you talk a little bit about what fake modeling is? Because just putting a picture on the page, right? Like that's not quite it, right? So tell us. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just it's something funny. I've, I've I love talking about this because you know, um, some teachers, um, you know, they they want to do it right. They want to do a good job. They know that conceptual math is the way to go, and they know that using multiple strategies and, and show your thinking and all these trends. So some students, unfortunately, wanna please the teacher. So they solve the problem using an algorithm and then they draw a picture of the answer. Right, but that's yeah. fake modeling because mm. they did not use the strategy to find the answer, right? So for example, with subtraction, I've seen papers of kids where they solve the subtraction using the algorithm, right? Crossing and borrowing and all of those things that are so funny. And then <laughs> they draw the base 10 blocks. They, the, they draw the 27, then they draw the 13 and they draw the answer, you know? So, and the teachers are like, well, great, you know, algorithm and base 10 blocks, but it's fake modeling. So what we need to tell our students is modeling or our teachers, modeling is what happens between the question and the answer. It's before mm -hmm. the answer. That is modeling. All of that thinking that happens before you get the answer, that's the modeling. And that's what we want. And we don't wanna tell our students what strategies to use. We wanna expose them to a lot of strategies. But then we want them to choose the one that makes sense. So perhaps yeah. the strategy is full of numbers. It doesn't have to be a picture, right? Like what if they break and decompose? And, but all of that is also modeling because it's explaining what, how they're thinking about that problem. Yeah. Thanks for yeah. bringing that up. Um, I, I'm really curious, Kathy, what your thoughts are. Um, Again, coming at it from the lens of teaching kids with more significant needs, I'm thinking about how much language is used in mathematics now um, mm -hmm. versus when I was in school. <laughs> um, and, and just how overwhelming that can be for our students who have maybe language processing issues or what have you. And then a little bit more is the fact that we are teaching so many strategies and the expectations of our students to learn all the strategies. So I think what I hear you saying is, is it's, it shouldn't be an expectation to learn all the strategies um, and be able to use all the strategies, more mm -hmm. so find the one that works for you. Is, is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, yeah I, I think, Lori, that you know the approach to teaching and learning math should be it should be a student-centered approach where students can really use the classroom, use the lesson as a platform for sharing their thinking. So it doesn't have to be all driven by the teacher, right? So having students exposed to a variety of strategies is fabulous, is fantastic because they learn so much more from each other than just from the teacher. So when you, when you have practices in your classroom, like a number talk before yeah. you start the yeah. lesson, <laughs> and students have the opportunity to share, well, the way I solved it was like that. 
oh, well, I saw it a different way. Then perhaps somebody, let's say the teacher has in her mind the idea of introducing the number line, right? No student in first grade is gonna say, well, I wanna use a number line. But yeah. maybe they say something <laughs> similar to that. So the teacher could be like, oh, what if we use a number line to show what Erin just talked about? So then they know that instead of just the algorithm that unfortunately some of our kids, that's it, they already come to our classroom with it. They see that there's another strategy. Perhaps another student can say, well, I broke down my number in this way. And Lori, there is a way to name those strategies in a way that makes sense. So you don't have to say this strategy is called the so-and-so. You can say, oh, this is the Aaron strategy. This is the Lori strategy. This is the Charles strategy. And having them in an anchor chart, just like we do for a reader's writer's workshop, is very good for students. And then absolutely, they should be able to see and be like, you know what? I like to use this strategy because that's the one that makes sense to me. Well, right? and you know what? That's the other piece that I think gets lost. And I think when you're talking about, when Lori, you raised the question about language in there too, we sort of had two questions going yeah, together. True. And I think, but I think it's important right? and it is connected because it is talking about cognitive load and it is talking about how overwhelming that math moment can be. And I think Kati, when you talk about putting these up as anchor charts and, and the math talks routines in the classroom, we're also talking about frequency of exposure and practice, right? And that concept, because I think so often what happens in math classrooms is that, you know, and this happens in, I guess, every core subject area where a concept is introduced and students are given a little bit of time to play with it. And then we sort of move on and add another layer of complexity, right? And we just kind of keep piling on. So that concept of like allowing students to really like live with the math and digest it and talk about it, that those loops of practice help for kiddos who language is overwhelming and who, you know? Yes, absolutely. And, and enough of the approach of I do, you do, right? Yeah. Like the teacher shows exactly, okay, this is how you add these two numbers. This is how you multiply. Now you go to your classroom and do the exact same thing with different numbers. Well, yeah. that, there's no creativity. And what do we want? We want our, our kids to be critical thinkers. We want them to be creative mathematicians. We want them to come up with solutions that help us in the world. They, they yeah. don't need to repeat exactly what we did. What if they have a better strategy? Right, right. Absolutely. I think it's interesting too that you raised you raise the point about students who can go right to the algorithm, right? And I almost feel like sometimes they're at a disadvantage at math, whereas the students who have no choice but to model and but to grapple with, like, let me figure out something to represent my thinking because the algorithm doesn't even make any sense. It's kind of a cool aspect of math where, where kiddos can really shine also. So we, we talked, oh, go for it. Well, sorry to interrupt you, but you no. know, we've been a lot about students that struggle in math but you know we could also talk about those kids that need a challenge right yeah and, absolutely uh, you know I had the opportunity to before I was in China in Shanghai American School I was in Chile at the International School Nido de Aguilas and I worked there for eight years as a gifted and talented teacher for mm -hmm. math and so what I learned as a gifted and talented teacher was that you don't wanna teach those math students the content for the next grade level because then they're gonna be even more bored 
right? If they're bored right now and you teach them the next grade level, then what are they gonna do next year? So what I learned is to go deep, to really make sense of it and use different strategies and you know problem solve and make connections and find the patterns. After having that, and it was, it was fantastic because all students wanna do that. But especially those kids that are very good at math, they love it. Well, now go and finding those, if those are all of the possible numbers you can find. Oh my goodness, right? They get really excited. Then when I got to Shanghai American School, I got the job as a learning support math teacher. And get, guess what strategies I used? The same. <laughs> yes. Same Go deep visualize, yeah. use manipulatives, explore, make sense. What do you think? You know, it's yeah. the exact same strategies about really understanding that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what if we get stuck down an alley with a strategy like the lattice method or something along those lines? <laughs> I want to pick your brain about that. <laughs> I wish you could see Cody's face right now. <laughs> this for me, when I had a student who tried to explain the lattice method to me in the way that my mind works one time, and I'm not meaning to call this one out in particular, but in general, these, these strategies that will become fad strategies that will, you know, kind of, you know, all of a sudden everyone's using it. Um, are they valuable for our students? Well, I think they're detrimental for our students. You know, mm. when we have students that come to us with already a memorized algorithm, right? They, it's a rule, they know the steps and, and they don't know if the answer is correct or not. Maybe it has four digits, maybe six, like they don't understand, but they follow the rules, but at least it's based on place value. You could break down the algorithm and have the students see how they did first the ones, then the tens, then the hundreds. You know, you, you could make sense of that. But with the lattice method, you know, and the, and the adding numbers diagonal, you are, you're adding ones with tens, with hundreds, and a, a six is a six. It doesn't matter if it's a 60. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Talk about, and then they put the answers all around the square. You know, numbers go up. <laughs> numbers go up. Yeah. Don't get me started, right? <laughs> the lattice method is everything we do not want our kids to do. We want our kids to know that a six could be a six if it's here, but at 60 if it's here. And you could break it down into 50 and 10. But if the six only is a six in the diagonal up, what are you going to do with that? Right? Yeah. So it's the same thing that when our students come in fifth grade and they already know how to do divide fractions only by flipping the fraction. And they have no idea that what it means, you know, that they don't know, they don't know that one fourth, they know that one fourth is the same as three twelfths just because they multiply, but they don't know that, that you can really fit, you know, three twelfths in a fourth. They, they don't know if it fits inside. So I don't know. I, I think I should stop talking about the lattice. <laughs> in case that you have some lovers, lattice lovers listening to the podcast. I love gonna... it. <laughs> but no, but I think that I think I think it's important because we all have done that, right? We all have found something that we're like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. And it's one of the it's a trick, right? And it's something that we that we do with our kids, but we don't take a moment to think about, okay, wait, what is the thinking behind it? Right. That's something universally as teachers that we experience. So I think I think it's important to say it and to point out why, because 
I'm not a mathematician, right? I teach math and I experience math as a learner yes. alongside my students. Growth well, alongside mindset. my students. Yeah. Okay, Growth yeah. mindset, Erin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm full embrace of math at this point, but I recognize that I'm still coming at it from a learner perspective, right? Every sure. day I walk into the math classroom. Yeah. Okay. Keep me on my toes, Lori. There you go. <laughs> She's keeping me honest. Um, we don't, but I, we don't want to make our kids feel bad. Hey, Erin, no. like if some of your students are using the lattice method, you just don't want them to share with a classroom during the number time, okay? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you and I can talk about that later, buddy. All right. I can't let That's you we... all the <laughs> Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes, absolutely. But I think for I th I think that is a valuable thing to hear because I think that if I, you know going to that level as a teacher and really like digging into what are the essential standards or what are the, what are the concepts really behind this math problem solving moment, right? That's a step that we don't always take in our planning, right? We're moving so fast. So I think, I think being critical thinkers about the strategies that we're using with kids, I'm glad you spent the time on it. <laughs> yeah, <me too. laughs> All right. So I have, I, I have kind of a, a little bit of a, a sideways question here, but I'm wondering about, because this is something that comes up a lot of times with the teachers I work with, right? We have universal screeners for reading easily accessible, right? Teachers know how to assess in reading. How yeah. can we effectively assess our students in math to know if someone truly is struggling or how do I even gauge, right? That like, where do I start? Um, what are your favorites or, or what are your go-to methods for assessing students' mathematical thinking? Ah, well, that's another, another um, tough one uh, yeah. because I haven't really, there's many screeners, right? However, yeah. it is difficult to find a screener that gives you information about how students are thinking. There yeah. are screeners that tell you if kids can have basic facts, right? If they can multiply, if they can add, if they can use decimals, all of that. But what really tells you about students mathematically is when they share how they're thinking about it. So there are a few. What I've done in the past is that I've looked online and then I've picked and choose the best parts of each, depending on the grade level. And very important that you, you give the students that screener right at the beginning of the year, then in December, and then again to measure growth, right? It's not something that it's not for students, it's for us, right? Just to see the, the growth in their math thinking. And so um, I don't have any names um, to give you right now for screeners. I, I have a lot of people that have emailed me asking. And in the yeah. end, I always suggest the same here. Take a look at all of these and pick and choose the ones that tell you if your kids are decomposing, if your kids have place value, right? If the kids understand what multiplication is, what division is, right? Like number sense. Yeah. I, yeah. I think what I, so reflecting on the conversation and sort of what you've shared with us so far, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, in my own practice, I, I tend to revert back to the standards and sort of what are those important standards and it's conversation with kids, right? It's those conferencing moments. So having a checklist of these are the things I want to know and, and really having them show me and then just kind of checking off. Okay. I got it today. Yes. They were able to visualize or model that for me or so it's, I think math really getting into math thinking takes time and it's something that we have to build into our routines. Right. 
Absolutely, but if we take time to do FMPs three or four times a year, why wouldn't we take the time to see how our students are thinking about math perhaps twice right. a year, right? right? Three times would be great, but twice a year, how much time does it take for an FMP to happen? How yeah. many, like, you know, it like, takes a yeah. lot. 20 to 30 kids. minutes with a kiddo, oh. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so absolutely. Leads me to this other thing. I don't know if we talked about the, the types of questions. You know, I wrote oh, a little bit yeah. about the types of questions. So um, in, my, in my blog, I wrote, you know, there's two types of questions that math teachers use. One is the guess my thinking question, which is mm. when teacher says, okay, look at this problem. What is the best strategy to solve the problem? And the students, one student says, oh, the number line? Well, yes, it could be that, but no. What is the best strategy? <laughs> Another kid says, uh, decomposing. Well, yeah, decomposing could be, but no, what is the best one? And then another kid, eventually everybody's so nervous because no one <laughs> is going to guess exactly what the teacher is thinking about. Right. Eventually he ends up or he ends up saying the answer. Mm. The type of questions that we want is how are you thinking about that? So you have a problem on the board and you want to say, hey, Lori, how are you thinking about this problem? Boom, that's it. Then Lori can yeah. say, well, the way I see it is I could do this or I could do this. And that's where you could see all of those misconceptions. You know, sometimes when kids start explaining how they solve, that's it, it happens. I also used to say also to uh, the parents in the parent coffee talks when they say, what do I do when my kid, you know, has all the answers wrong and then we get into a fight? Very easy. Just sit with the kid and say, walk me through this one. How did you do it? And when they're telling you, they're going to be like, oh, I forgot the two. Oh, I forgot this part. And then boom, you don't have to do anything. Happy dinner. Awesome. <laughs> Happy dinner. That's what we want. <laughs> Let's, uh, we're coming to the end of our time. Let's take a moment just to share our greatest moment of joy in math with our students each year. What is it? What is the moment with math that you love, you look forward to with your students every year? I'm throwing a total curveball at you right now. <laughs> so take a second to think. Um, where is your math joy? Oh gosh. I, I think um, for me, working with kids who um, are learning to do one-to-one -one correspondence and when, and, you know, we use, we use a lot of movement and jumping and, you know, just, just trying to get those numbers to come together. And when they finally do, I think it's just, it's so exciting for everyone, right? So I think that's where I'm at is just that basic one-to-one -one correspondence and the joy of seeing kids understand it finally. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I think mine is very similar to Lori, you know, is when I tell my students all the time, you know, let's do a model, let's solve it with a model, trust the model, you know. When you do the model, all you have to do is open your eyes and the answer will pop out. You know, at the beginning, they don't believe me, but then finally it's like, I see it, I see it. So when they yeah. finally can trust that that strategy that is not just the algorithm works, 
and they and they get it like when I taught the kids last week about the x squared they could not get the x squared they continued to multiply x times two right mm. so whatever x was they were doing x times two and I kept saying and I said x times x x when I finally showed them and they were like this and the camera's like <laughs> joy that was uh, best moment yeah Ah, beautiful. I think mine is that is that moment where fluency kicks in. So I, you know, because I support students who struggle significantly and they struggle with math every single day, I love those moments where a model becomes, where that automaticity kicks in and they, and you start to see their eyes get bigger and you feel that momentum picks up and then they want another problem. They want another opportunity to show that like, oh, I figured it out. And I think that's, we're kind of saying the same stuff, right? It's that, that moment where ownership lands with the student and where they're able to sort of run without us. <laughs> yes. yes, when they see it, that aha moment. Oh my goodness, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for joining us tonight, Kati. It was absolutely a joy to speak with you. And I don't know how I started out nervous and I smiled my entire way through this one. So, hey, that's a win. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. I had the best time. Thank you, guys. Thanks for inviting me. I, I, I love that. I love talking to you about these and learning from you. It was great. Yeah, thanks so much. So much fun. Definitely. And now a math, math fan. Oh, yay! <laughs> All right, see? That was a moment of joy for me, Erin. <laughs> 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 <laughs>